Welcome to another episode of the Improv Exchange with Neander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, educator, saxophonist from St. Louis, Missouri, Willie Morris. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Willie Morris with us, sir. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So first thing first, can you please introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, um, I'm Willie Morris. I'm a tenor saxophonist, uh, originally from the St. Louis area, East St. Louis, and uh, currently living in New York, based in New York, and um, also an educator. I'm a musician, educator, composer, all those hats that we all have to wear all the time. Um, But I'm just very excited to be here with y'all. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it's another Juilliard guy. So (laughs) you all know my opinion of Juilliard. So first things first, what made you want to go there? You know, I'll be honest with you. Um, I just wanted to come to New York. And and it's funny. I, I The funny story, maybe it's that funny. My parents, um, I kind of felt the need to convince them that I that it was a good idea for me to go. And I'll tell you, actually, before I even got in, I told, I told them I got in because I was like, I'm going to move to New York one way or another, right? And... You know, if they think I'm in school, then they'll think I'm in school. But I, I did end up getting in, um, and then it all just kind of worked out to where financially it was it was feasible, and I knew that they had a, a great faculty there, and knew that the people that I would be there with studying with would be incredible. So, you know, I just, it felt like the best situation for me at that point in my life. Was that the only school you got into in New York? No. No, so I did. I I applied to, or so I got into Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music in New York. Okay. And then I also, you know, I would, I'd been looking at Michigan State and Northwestern as well. So, you know, but I just I knew that the New York move was was what I was trying to do. So your opinion of New York coming from St. Louis? Be honest. I love it. You love it. I, I'm I'm being honest with you. I love it. I, there definitely it's it, you know it comes in waves. Oh yeah, definitely. There's some days, yeah. There's some days where it's like the most magical place in the world and. You know, you're surrounded by just there's there's an abundance of of whatever you need here, right? Except space, maybe. But you know, it's it's a it's an amazing place. There's a lot of great art. Um, I will say there are some days where it's tough. It's tough living here. You know, to 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 be in such close quarters with everyone all the time, and and um, just kind of like that that day in day out grind can get a little tiring at times. But I, I do love it here. You came here at 18, right? No, I was actually, I was 23. Okay, so that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> and were you living in the dorms at Juilliard or no? No, I when I moved here, I immediately, I was living in an apartment with two other people, a couple other musicians. Uh, I don't know if you if you know Nathan C., an amazing alto saxophonist, and um, Takeru Saito, an amazing pianist. So I had known Nathan from Illinois from the, the Allstate stuff in Illinois. Um, but I hadn't known Sakeru, but they really, me and Nathan went to Juilliard at the same time. And so it, it kind of worked out that, you know, oh, let's find a place together, you know? Okay, so I'm just trying to see where, you, how this even came about. So you were studying somewhere else, 
Mm-hmm. Then you pretty much told your parents, screw this, I'm moving to New York and happy to get it to Juilliard. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So I, I went to I went to Eastern Illinois University for my undergraduate degree. And um it's kind of a kind of a lesser known school, but like a hidden gem in a lot of ways. And that was in Charleston, Illinois. Um but then then whenever I finished there, then I applied for grad school and went to went to New York. Okay. So, but I, I was going to New York one way or another. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. So, just, uh, yeah. I'm not trying to pick on you on that part. <laughs> I just, no, okay. No, so, good. Eastern Illinois to Juilliard, talent level differences. How are they? Well, it's, I mean, it's, there's a very stark difference, but I will say Eastern Illinois is more of a school that prepares um, educators. It was originally a, a um, what do they call it, a normal school, so a school for people to learn to teach. And um, so that was kind of that was kind of the big thing there. They had a jazz program. It wasn't very large. I'll tell you, I think there were maybe I might have been six of us in the program at the time when I was there, you know. Uh, yeah. So it's if that if that explains anything, you know, was it's a very big difference. But but I will say when I was there, there was some really great there was some great the six people that were there were incredible. Right. Like it was a nice group of people to play with. OK. So it wasn't like, oh my, this is Juilliard, this is too much. No. Uh, well, I mean, I guess at that point, um, I had, so Eastern Illinois University is is in the middle of Illinois. Yes. Um, like kind of central Eastern Illinois. And so it was between three cities. So I was I was sometimes going up to Chicago, sometimes going out to Indianapolis, sometimes going down, back down to St. Louis. And so I just knew that, like, this is great, and I want to see what else is out there. So that, I mean, that's really what it was. It's just. Okay. And how know. did you, how do you see the jazz world now versus then? Um, I, I think, I think coming here kind of, it just made everything more real. In terms of I, I had kind of looked at these people that are in New York, um, you know, be, trying to be jazz musicians and, and you know, playing this music, I kind of looked at them as like these celebrities and it was it was such a huge deal to me. And now I'm starting to meet some of these people and, and it's more like, oh, okay, you know, I'm seeing it. It's, it's This is a very human thing, you know? So I, I think it just kind of humanized everything for me. Okay. I mean, the best thing about going to Juilliard is you never have to be intimidated by someone who went to Juilliard. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's true. I, well, I'm curious, because and I, I, maybe I shouldn't ask a question. You can ask any question you want. Go ahead. What is what is? You said it. You know how you feel about Juilliard. How do you feel about Juilliard? Uh, I make fun of all conservatories. Number one. Okay. Some amazing that. artists come out of there. Some great talent is teaching there. But I first believe a lot of those instructors hide in the universities. Because it's an easier paycheck than hitting the road and actually producing music. Number two, they get stuck in the past because you had a hit album in 1980. Don't mean that's going to be a hit in 2023. Mm -hmm. And some of their teaching tactics, I'm just like, uh, I give you a Juilliard one. Bass players are not allowed to use an amp. That was that was a thing there. Absolutely. Oh, this is the first one that's willing to admit it, people. I like that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, there were no bass amps there. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, no, I hear where you're coming from with these things. I mean, I'm yeah. not going to um, 
rip on the school at that level, but you get where I'm going. I can really talk I about do. this. <laughs> I do. I do. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And this is, it's not, you know, I think, again, that kind of goes with what we were just, or what I was just saying was, is like being here kind of humanized a lot of people for me because, I mean, you do talk about like someone that had a, a record like a long time ago and they're kind of still riding that. But I get it. I get it in a way, you know, if it's something they're proud of. Um, yeah, but I do. I understand exactly what you're saying. I'm, okay. But as a student, when you're there, the faculty did help a lot, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's worth saying that it was COVID school when I was there. It was what? So it was it was during COVID. Oh, yeah. You know, so. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So. <laughs> now I feel bad for you. You spend all that money not to even experience Juilliard fully. Well, I, you know, it's it's still good because I got like, I got to work with with my teachers. You know, I just got to sometimes do it from the the comfort of my own home. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to make more people. So. I don't think you could learn an instrument really virtually. And I and I understand. I think and that's I don't think that Juilliard was necessarily where I learned to play my instrument super well. You know, I think it was more I got all these these different life lessons and lessons about artistry and and, you know, um, creativity and just kind of telling my story more so than actually the technical side of playing an instrument. Give me an example. One. Come on. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I so, for instance, Fred Kimbrough was was one of my teachers whenever I was there. And Frank Kimbrough was a what I don't think I played a single note on the saxophone for Frank the whole time I was there. But we had these conversations about Andrew Hill and how how honest Andrew Hill was in his music and how it, what he's playing is it's not preconceived and and how and I I don't know how much truth there is to this story. So this this story's not coming from me. <sighs> Don't be that. Don't ruin the story. Don't tell the story, man. Okay, hey, I'll tell you the story. So, I mean, the story is that Andrew Hill would, he would, you know, he would go for a long amounts of time without practicing so that whenever he gets to the gig, he's kind of like bottled up all this this energy and this magic, for lack of a better term, you know, and then he kind of lets, he lays it all out there whenever the show would happen, right? So just things like that, just things about like, like, digging deep into yourself and not thinking so much about like, okay, this is a, this is a D minor seven chord. What am I going to play? No, it's not really that so much as it's communicating what the music is drawing out of you. Right. And also what you want to put into the music. Do you have an idea you know, of how old he was when he was doing that? I hope it wasn't when he was like 30 under. I don't, I don't have uh, no, an idea. I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming not. And uh, this would have been later in his life when he was kind of working with Frank a lot. Mm -hmm. Or when Frank was working with him, rather, you know. Okay. That's the story yeah. I didn't know. I see both sides of that. I mean, supposedly Buddy Rich <laughs> got to a point where he's like, yeah, I don't even practice anymore. But you see him play, it's like, yeah, he practiced to even get to that point. Yeah. And that's, that's, and, and what I was saying is not at all to discount practicing. I practice every day. You know, um, but it's just it's just like there is a I think there is a, a point where you kind of have to dig with dig deep within as opposed to trying to pull, you know, externally and almost reproduce something or, you know, like you, you, you take in a lot of things and eventually you have to sort through that and figure out like, well, who am I? What am I trying to do? Yeah. You know, and I think that was what Juilliard was good about. In fact, that was it was a. It was a big thing of insecurity for me when I got there because it felt like everyone kind of had their sounds, and I was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing." 
you know? a great amount of people I've heard from there, they legit have great sounds and great music yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. But I would say Julian helped them form it or anything like that. No, right, and, right. Yeah, it's all up to us in the end, right? You know, wherever you are, it's completely up to us as the individual, you know. So someone going into Juilliard right now, what would you tell them as an undergrad or even as somebody getting a master's? Um, don't. I would just say, like, put yourself out there, honestly. Play with as many people as you can that are in the school. You know, talk to your professors, your teachers, your, you know, because that's that's like your that's your immediate circle. And those people, they again, you're surrounded by so much amazing musicianship so much amazing artistry that like put yourself out there because i honestly feel like when i was there i wish i would have put myself out there more i kind of that insecurity kind of stopped me from from really going all the way in some certain aspects and also this kind of this thing where i was stuck in between who i am and who i thought i was supposed to be you know so i would just say be your authentic self and put yourself out there and and talk to people, play with people, take advantage of every single resource you have, you know? Okay. So your band, I, obviously EJ Strickland did not come from Juilliard with you at the same time, but the right, rest of them, right. any of them come from there? Any of them you meet there? No, actually, actually no. None? Okay. No, no one in that band was, was from Juilliard. Yeah. Um, oh, not 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 while you're studying there, but anyone you met while being a student there, like they did a master class or anything. Um, well, I, I mean, I'm not in that way, but I met uh, Patrick Cornelius. You know, yes. he was one of the first people I met in New York, actually. Um, and I I gone with some of my some of my friends from Juilliard, and we went to um, oh a bar next. We went to bar next door. And we saw Patrick Cornelius playing with with Carl Allen, and so that was they were, they were playing duo, and it was a great show. And I just remember thinking, like, man, <laughs> this dude is playing the snot out of this alto saxophone. It's, it was amazing to me, you know. So that's he was one of the first people I met in New okay. York. That would have been like the only thing I would have even said. I wish you did on this album, that yeah. you got a group of Juilliard artists yeah. went in the studio, and then I would have got five names from that album matter that would have grew together or even went their own separate ways. Yeah, because no, I hear that. I love when the younger people make albums and then mm -hmm. they go perform and tour. It's just that that's a whole other thing. It's like, yes, you want the senior experience artists on your album, but at the same time, are they bringing more attention than you are? I understand. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I will say that most of the time whenever I'm when I'm playing, I'm playing with my peers. This group, if, if I'm being completely honest, this group was, was um, I mean, it was the, it, it was artists that have played on Positone. I don't think I had really proven myself enough to where I was like, oh, I'll just bring in all these people, you know? And so okay. a lot of that was, was the label making some decisions. I mean, I can't, they could know? produce your album and do all that stuff. I get that part. I'm just saying, so if you were to go into the studio tomorrow, do you have a group of people around your age that you could do something like this, if not better? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because yeah. me being a percussionist, the first thing I see when I look at this, I'm like, ooh, EJ Strickland. Yeah, I'm listening. So that takes uh, away from you. That's why I'm asking. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. 
So tell me about this. How did you record this? Was it one day? Did you actually have practice sessions? Was it? Yeah. So um, this was it was a while ago. So I'm trying to remember completely. But this was uh, we had one day of rehearsal and then we recorded the record that next day. So it was um, it was pretty, pretty quick, pretty quick to. You know, here's the music. Let's learn this right now. Let's kind of find some kind of uh, some kind of um, like let's let's try and gel as best we can right now. And then we recorded the next day, and that that was the process. But I I, and I will say that that's why some of the tunes on this on this record I didn't want to make them extremely complicated because I wanted it in the way that it says conversation starter. I just wanted it to be a way that like we could come together and be like, okay, let's talk to each other. You know, so I, I think the music lent itself pretty, pretty well to to, um, you know, the fact that we had not played together a bunch and toured a bunch. I understand that. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I like to think in a perfect world, every composer has their just in case this is my last album. Here is my message. Yeah, definitely. But was there any moments in the session where you were like, this might not go as well, or I wish I prepped more, or I didn't like my solo as well? Or yes. even these guys all <laughs> made me feel bad. Yeah. Oh, every time, every time, every time I had to hear Patrick play, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> what am I doing? You know, um, yeah, no, definitely. I think especially at that time, because I was still, I was pretty pretty fresh quote-unquote into the real world and out of school you know so I was still kind of dealing with the um that that insecurity again you know and so and also just trying to trying to give direction to these folks who are my senior and have been doing this for a while you know that there was a little weirdness there that I think I overcame ultimately but it was definitely it was like a new it was a new experience for me so um but yes definitely there 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 are moments on those recordings on the record that are a little bit hard for me to hear now looking back on it just because i kind of know what headspace i was in back then and it it might not have been 100 percent the best headspace you know i get you i ask that because there are times i'm in a session and this is one person i always record with and if he says something, I just shut up and listen to him. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's unto itself, you know? Okay. So what is something people misunderstand about recording an album? Mm. Um, well, I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but if I'm speaking for myself and what I think might be a common misconception is that you know, you think everything is going to be, everything has to be and exactly, you know, exactly right. Because we hear other recordings and we're like, oh, well, that is perfect, you know, but they probably weren't thinking that. Which perfect right? you, album are you thinking about? There's some Blue Note albums I love. <laughs> they clearly screwed up. <laughs> well, I mean, like, for instance, like um, one of my favorite albums of all time is, is In and Out, Joe Henderson, right? And oh, the bad me, example, man. Me, well, right, right. So there, there's all these little things that are a little bit weird about that album, right? 
but I, but I do think that whenever we're the listener, we kind of we glaze over some of those things because it it doesn't you know it, we're not hearing it as a oh is is that a mistake or is that no we're not really thinking about it like that we're hearing the music as a whole as the product but when it's your record and you're in the studio it almost feels like okay this had ah I can't I can't let that take go no we got to do this again no we got to all we gotta I'll punch say about this. the In and Out album if you really listen to it there's this one time where the engineer clearly split it oh yeah, yeah. I know it's you, two on, takes um, with you the, put together the, yes it, going into Kenny Dorham solo okay good uh, yeah <laughs> oh yeah come on yep that's well, I, I said that's I a bad to... example <laughs> yeah what is that on uh, I'm not gonna okay. say it cause okay. you know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but but I used it. I used that example on purpose to say that, like, sure. I didn't realize that for a long time. It took me a lot of listens to realize that. You know, maybe I wasn't always listening on the, the highest fidelity speakers or headphones. But. Well, first of all, that's a whole other story. And when people, <laughs> when you listen to it on those speakers, yeah, uh-huh. all the problems come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, no, absolutely. So actually, since you came up, the studio that you were in. Was it an open room? Oh, but no. you guys in panel, like isolated? What were you guys? Um, kind of a little bit of both, uh, but more so isolated. So bass was isolated. Um, Adi was was in her own room. EJ was in his own room. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Patrick were standing right next to each other, and that was kind of open. And then there was kind of this half wall between us and John on the piano. Okay. So it's kind of I would call it a semi-open concert. Semi-open, pretty yeah. small. Yeah, pretty small studio. I, that's what I was asking. And if it's open, I think the engineer did great. Even if it's ISO, I think he did great. It's just me being the loser I am, stuff like that actually entertain me <laughs> or make me <laughs> curious. Like maybe I should place it here and then place the person here next album. So yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's that all adds to the experience, right? The, the way that it's recorded and, and yeah, no, definitely. It paints that, that picture for you. Okay, so now I'm just gonna ask you about your gigging, okay? Okay. Because what do you think of actually gigging? Now that you're there, you have an album, you have some press. How is it now versus before? Um. Well, I'll be honest. Like before, I feel like the only gigs that I could book, or not, sorry, not even book, the only gigs I was really playing were sideman gigs. You know, and and now I have this push to to book gigs as a leader. You know, but now I'm realizing just how difficult it is to to book gigs as a leader and how creative you have to be in a lot of ways. It's kind of opened my eyes more to the business side of things, right? Because there's, there's a complete difference between you just have to show up and play and they're going to give you this money and then you go home versus, okay, now I have to think about how I'm going to make this venue money, right? Because if, if I'm not making the money, they don't want me to be here. Correct. You know? I give you that. So thinking about that, that's been big. Um, thinking about my tone and emails, you know, that's been a big deal. And then, and then the, there's also the aspect of, of um, actually telling a story instead of just playing tunes. You know, how am, I, how am I bringing the audience through this, through this set, you know? How am I structuring this set to, to really tell the story in the way that I want to? Because that's not a thing that I had a lot of experience doing. So I, 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 I welcome the challenge of, of, I'm sorry, I don't know what that sound is. 
but I welcome the challenge of um of taking on those leadership roles. That's that's what I've always wanted. Are to you do. getting most of your gigs by cold calling? Yeah, and emails. Oh, more yeah. emails than call. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's only like five jazz clubs really left in New York. I know there's yeah, more than five, but I make fun of it because they keep closing one after the other, after the other. After the, it opens yeah. up as a jazz club. Next thing you know, it's a pool hall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you, you're talking about jazz clubs. I'm, I feel like had to, in this in this day, we've had to get more creative. It's not even just jazz clubs anymore. It's like, what what bar can I play at? You know, what what restaurant can I play at? Bars. Which sounds dark. The bars are like dying. Some, <laughs> It's it's tough. It's tough out there, you know. Like people, so, when you don't like, understand the whole COVID thing, when they locked down New York City, people got very comfortable drinking at home, so they don't go oh. to bars <laughs> like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely, yeah. No, that's for sure. And, then, and I I was lucky enough to experience New York a little bit before COVID too. Like so I happy remember our gigs gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's it's very different, and we could go into the whole streaming thing, but that's a love and hate thing I have. Because I would love to hear, I would love to hear about that. Oh, the streaming thing, as mm-hmm. a consumer or as somebody who's actually playing and producing the music. I'm talking about someone playing and producing the music. Oh, it's horrible. You know how you feel about it, it. is horrible. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. I don't know if you were around when like Virgin Record Stores was around and all those mega album stores. Mm-hmm. You know how much money yeah. I would waste in there? I wouldn't say waste, but you get what I mean? <laughs> Every week, my parents would give me a little money. That whole thing went to the stores. Yeah, no, I definitely get that. People have their like own things. I was like sport cards. Actually, it was Pokemon cards for my friends and other stuff. <laughs> they would spend yeah. their money and allowance on. This idiot that you're talking to bought albums after albums after albums. I, like, I have too much in my house. That's cultural enrichment, if you ask me. Mm, has its pros and cons, but you get what I'm saying. (laughs) So how much did the record industry lose just from me? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, I hear exactly what you're saying. It's not great. It's not great. And yeah, it's, it's really changed the entire landscape Mm -hmm. of music, not even just how it's consumed in terms of how you buy it, but how you listen to it too. But now it's like, unless you're someone like me who really goes looking for new releases, the average person opens up Spotify, goes to new releases, and if your album doesn't pop up there, you're not getting listens. Absolutely. There's no more crate digging. Yeah, so that, right? that's another negative side. So if you get in the algorithm, it's great. Mm-hmm. Right. And then yeah, a lot of stuff that they put on the jazz, I'm like, ah, I think I am very liberal in terms of what is considered jazz versus a lot of other people but some of this stuff i don't know how it makes it okay yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you sound you sounded like a like a juilliard person yourself oh you're talking about a certain person who's in charge that plays this instrument i, no, I didn't say all that i didn't say all that Come okay because no <laughs> me and him wouldn't see eye to eye on certain things and if i ever get him on which it's just a matter of time <laughs> that's one of the things I would have to ask him because I think he dropped the ball on certain things but then at the same time I think he helped preserve a lot of things oh most definitely okay do I think smooth jazz should have been considered jazz yes I know people don't like hearing that 
Do I think a lot of the fusion jazz should have been considered jazz? Yes. Do I think mm-hmm. some of this other stuff should have been considered jazz now? No. <laughs> <laughs> we all have a we all draw a line somewhere, right? I so think my job just... my line is very low compared to everybody else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's some people who won't let certain instruments be considered jazz. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if people heard the episode. I had an accordion player on. Uh huh. The guy was nasty. Oh, I don't care what anyone says. That's if you're gonna put an accordion <laughs> to jazz, that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'll let to check it out. Yeah, I tell you who it is after the show. Not to ruin you uh-huh. know your time. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that's my whole other thing, and then. Jazz festivals. I don't know if you've been to any recently. Um, not as a performer. Um, Even as a person supporting it, listening. It's, it's actually, I haven't. It's been a while. Um, My point I, exactly. I meant to, yeah. I, I meant to make it back to St. Louis. They had one there um, that had some pretty great acts, but. Pretty great acts? Um, if it was that great, no offense, you would have went. This <laughs> is <No, it's> real. <laughs> I mean, Herbie was there. What was Herbie playing? I love Herbie. That's a good point. Oh, That's a good Watermelon point. Man for the 800th he time. Was, yeah, you know how it goes. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I I didn't see, so I'm not sure, but but it was more of kind of a like the West Coast kind of you know theater things, but no. You know, it was just like, being yeah. real. It's like okay, I get it. I can't really pick on Herbie though, because like that's like the intubator, but you get what I mean. Mm-hmm. I do, I do. Okay, but yeah, mm-hmm. there are a whole bunch of jazz festivals I've been to where I'm there, and I'm just like, ah, I want to leave. <laughs> and it, you can say what you want, but when you are dumb enough to have a jazz podcast. <laughs> And literally restricted to jazz artists. And you're saying, yeah, I had enough. I want to leave 45 minutes into being there. That's not a really good state for jazz. They didn't reach you. They didn't reach you on that day. I hear what you're saying. That day. She's I think the last seven I've been to this summer. They haven't been reaching me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hear that. Okay. So you being as young as you are, where do you think jazz will be in 10 years? Uh, well, so that's a great question. What will jazz be in 10 years? Um, I, I don't think it's going to change that much if I'm being honest with you. I think, cause I think jazz right now is such a, it's such a wide umbrella, you know? And I feel like there are a lot of different pockets of jazz. And so I think, I think in a way it's, it's just going to be similar that there's going to be all these different pockets of jazz and we're still going to struggle with the how we define what jazz is. So I, you know, in terms of like if there's going to be a definitive voice of jazz or a definitive face of jazz, I don't think there will be one. I think it, like we're talking about streaming. I think just the amount of access that people have to not only listening to music, but the ability to put out music. No, know, that's it's, beautiful. It's not as... Yeah, absolutely. Like kill the gatekeeping, which I personally exactly. love. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think that has made it where there's not going to be a dominant thing. You know, there's always just going to be these, these many pockets 
things for different people? I mean, this is a hard question to really ask you because you're younger than me. <laughs> and most of the time, the guests <laughs> are a lot older than me. But uh, were you really around for jazz radio? Yeah. I mean, we had a radio station back in St. Louis um, that actually uh, at WSIE. Yeah, WSIE, 88.7. How many and jazz I, I stations were there in St. Louis? I there was just that one that one and it was ran by a, a university it was like a part of kind of a university that was there um, but they play some good stuff I'm not know? saying that so what happens if you're not able to get your music on that station or you known in St. Louis or well, you just you're out of luck better go listen to some hip hop what everyone else is listening to you know <laughs> no no I, I, I understand I, I think um yeah, I mean, I was around for, for jazz radio. That's just not really a thing anymore. No, definitely. I agree with you. Yeah. But I, I was around for jazz radio. No, I, that's I what say, I said. I can't really... That's not a fair question to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to ask someone that's like 20 years older than me to actually get a good mm-hmm. answer on that because they oh, okay. could actually tell me their opinion or their... They get a publicist, gets on the radio, and they see their sales go like, eh or eh. <laughs> Right, right. No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I didn't get to take take advantage of that too much. Um, okay, no fair. I, I, yeah, I did love that, love that station. So what do you think is one of the worst parts about being a saxophonist? <laughs> that I didn't pick piano. <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I was a pianist a lot of times. <laughs> Great answer. And, I, and I, you know, I got my keyboard back here. Like, I, I try. You know, but there is something kind of limiting about being able to play one note at a time, right? If I'm being honest, I feel like it it restricts you in a way, it removes some of your power. There, there are times where all your pianists play, and and they have so much ability to kind of work what's going on, whether that's with the time, with the harmony, they kind of have it all right there at their fingertips. And I think. Um, as horn players, we kind of have to work a little bit harder to do that because if we just start playing out, you know, it might we might lack clarity. And so I think that there there's like this this thing that's tough sometimes with having clarity, especially on the saxophone. You can you can play a million notes. You know, you press your fingers down, that note's probably going to come out. You know, and so I think I think sometimes I struggle with with clarity in my playing. You know. Okay. That's fair. So, have you ever played on a non-jazz album? No? Mm, uh, I mean, it, well, it depends on what you consider jazz. Um, when I was, I mean, I might have been 20 years old or something, but I played uh, on a record for a friend of mine named Tyler Seawin, who's living in L.A. now. And it was it was more neo-soul, kind of hip-hop type of thing um so I, I did that with him i did a couple a couple records with him which was which were both a lot of fun i don't even know that they're out anymore i think they were on soundcloud for a while and then he took them down you know but that was fun i i love playing in non-jazz settings i'm, I'm a there, huge fan of there's it. more people listening i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah neo soul's another thing i really love so that's a good thing and 
Like I said, if I didn't limit it to just jazz, I would bring some of those guys on. But they have their yeah, own yeah. set of problems, and it's just like, really, guy? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe one down. I'm curious me. what you mean by that. Huh? Yeah, no, we don't have to. We don't have to get into it. I was gonna say I'm curious what you mean about it, but we definitely don't have to get into it right yeah, now. Yeah, we'll do that so out. I'll tell you one after later. the show. Okay, fair. Okay. <laughs> so, when's your next album coming out? Um, as of right now, I'm sorry, it's my network is struggling. But I hope it's. I hope you can still. You're be good. Out. You're good. But okay, it's, it's uh, as of right now, it should be out in. It's tentatively set to release in February. All right, so it's coming up. It's coming up quick. Really? That's tentatively. Tentatively. Same label. Yes. Same label. That's one Same thing label. I like about them. It is. They understand that part. You got to keep putting stuff out. <laughs> The output, the output is is huge. No, there's some people when I ask that they say like five, ten years or so. Literally, they say that, and I'm just like, then you just killed your momentum. Right, absolutely. Especially in today's yeah. world, where it's just like, oh, I listened to your album, I got another album. Oh, next week there's another ten album. It, unless it was that good. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somewhere in the middle. Right? Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward towards that. Who's on it? Um, so on that record, it, it's more the typical, um, not to say typical, but it, it's the usual suspects, posits, and Google. It's Boris Kozlov on bass, uh, Rudy Royston on drums, um, John Davis is, is on piano again, um, Jim Cornelius is on alto saxophone again. Okay. I'm looking forward towards it. I'm glad your label at least has some people younger than me on it. And <laughs> if they gave you an unlimited budget and they say, do whatever you want, no barriers, what would be the project? Unlimited budget. Mm. Um, unlimited budget. What would I do? Okay, they gave you a million dollars. There you go. Well, I mean, look, a million dollars is unlimited budget to me. If, if you know, to me, that sounds like an unlimited budget. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> you know, it would be nice to. The one thing I kind of like about hip hop and and music that's outside of kind of the realm of jazz a little bit more is how different each track sounds from each other. Right? There's still like this core sound of the musician that's creating the record, but. You know, it's, it, it could be like a, a different set of musicians on each track. And I kind of like that. And I think it'd be nice to just be able to do kind of a thing where I have a very specific band for very specific tracks, all meant to, to come together for one message. But but just like if each track had its own vibe, you know, and an unlimited budget would help for sure. No, definitely. That's why I can't say musicians. anything. <laughs> you could literally have nine different bands for the album. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it will be more sounding like anyone I know. Um. Hmm. I, I guess, kind of the um. Mm, I feel they kind of do it out west. I feel I feel like the West Coast sounds kind of like that. Um, kind of like the Terrace Martin. Okay. You no. Know, Kamazi Washington, but maybe a little bit more rooted in the tradition. There's Juilliard and me coming out. <laughs> okay. And 
my last controversial question I have to ask you. Okay. Who's the best saxophone player within the last 40 years? Within the last 40 years? Joe Henderson. <laughs> that's, that's easy. Really? Okay. That's easy. You okay. You're talking about you talking living living I meant living. I'm sorry. That's my fault. Okay. All right. <laughs> that is my fault. That's why I was like, really. Um. I thought you the the. Let me let me think. I can actually play tomorrow. Don't give me somebody that's like 95. I see. I see. Um. For me, mm-hmm. I would say I would say Walter Smith is has has been one of my favorites for a while. Um, yeah, anytime Walter Smith comes to town, I'm, I'm checking it out. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. Clo- close second would actually be um, Stacy Dillard. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's something in Stacy Dillard's sound that really speaks to me. He's got he's kind of slick, you know what I mean? No, like, I, I understand. I was not expecting piece. that one. That's why I like yeah. that answer. Okay. Yeah. So, can you tell the people your social media, your website, where to find you? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Willie W I L L I E underscore Morris M O R R I S the third. So I I I. Um, um, you can also find me on Facebook, just under Willie Morris. And that's really all I do for social media. You can find me on my, my website is williemorrismusic.com. Um, and yeah, that's where you can find me. Okay. Spotify, well, Apple Music. Yeah, all Spotify, there. all the streaming things. I will link <laughs> that as always in the website, people. Well, yeah. Willie, looking forward towards your progression as an artist. Okay. Don't let me down, okay? I want the next one to be better. Don't do, <laughs> don't do this going backwards, garbage. Yeah, I hope it doesn't get worse. <laughs> be a real problem. Okay, everyone. I'm excited for the next one. So yeah. <laughs> everyone, thank you for listening. It's Leanna from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good one. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.